0: Hello, and welcome back to the Video Essay Podcast. I'm your host, Will DeGravio. I'm not sure where the time went, but somehow the podcast turned three years old this summer. First, I want to thank everyone who has listened to the show, appeared on the program, and assisted in some way with the show's growth and development. I am truly so grateful for this community of people who are invested in this kind of work. To celebrate, And also reflect, I have curated clips from the first 10 episodes of the podcast, not including the pilot, to give you a sense of all the different types of conversations that have happened on the show over the years. Gathering this audio also serves as preparation for a talk that I will be giving at Theory and Practice of the Video Essay, an international conference on videographic criticism that will be held at the University of Massachusetts Amherst later this month. My talk, Understanding and Podcasting the Labor and Practices of Video Essaying, centers on three years of the video essay podcast, and the main question more or less is this, what can be learned by aggregating more than 30 podcast interviews with creators into a portrait or portraits of the video essayist? The following clips are, in part, my answer to that question. So here we go. The first full episode of the Video Essay Podcast featured an interview with Catherine Grant. In that interview, I asked Katie to explain the phrase she coined to describe her creative process, working in the flow. It is a phrase that has stuck in my head ever since the first time I heard Katie use it, and is one that I often use on the show, and one that I think beautifully describes the work of the online video essayist. Here is Katie.
1: I think uh, it's probably a little bit different for me than for those people who are practicing this work as professional film critics, or even as scholars who are paid for each piece of work, which some people are. Um, But I guess my working in the flow is, it refers to kind of online life. It refers to the way in which these videos occur to me and the way that I share them. And the way that there's often not very much of a, a time lapse between me making something and sharing it. I'll probably share it later in the same day I've made it. Um, which is not how I often work as a scholar. Um, So it's this kind of phrase that describes the responsiveness of this work. It's, you know, sometimes I get commissioned to make something. Uh, Sometimes, as I'll, I'll maybe say a little bit about later, it takes me a long time to make some things. But actually, most of the things I make, I make very quickly because they occur to me and I have a really keen interest in getting them made and out there. A classic example would be one you've already referred to, where someone I care about in media or in film studies has died. And I often go through the process of thinking about that person and memorialising them in some way in the very quick process of making a video that refers to their work in some way. Um, so that's, that's the flow. And I guess it's a different kind of model of publishing that is allowed enabled by the online context.
0: The show then featured an interview with Philip Brubaker, another prolific video essayist who made the bulk of his work for Fandor. One of the goals of the show was, and still is, to trace the various artists and works that have influenced video essayists. When I was a kid,
2: I used to watch the Oscars every year. And I remember when I was 10, I saw the opening kind of number to the Oscars that year was a montage by this guy named chuck workman who kind of made a career for himself creating some of the earliest supercuts cuts in, mm. in in film you know back in like the the late 80s into the 90s and this obviously this is a time before the internet made it very easy to make a supercut. you know he would be working with the the films themselves i remember watching that montage which was just a collection of exciting moments from movie history just distilled into like a six minute montage and getting very excited. And when I was that age, I, I wanted to make films, I wanted to be a director, but there was something about this masterful edit that also intrigued me. And, but I never predicted that I would be involved in something like that.
0: Grace Lee, the creator of the popular YouTube channel, What's So Great About That, joined the show as the third guest. Listeners of this show will know that I attended Middlebury College, where I studied videographic criticism with Jason Mattel and Christian Keithley, who have advanced the make first, think later mantra when it comes to videographic criticism. In other words, go into your video editing program and let the sounds and images come to you. In this clip, Grace offers another way of thinking about making video essays.
3: My videos are probably an essay first and a video second, whereas... I know other people, it's much more of an interconnected process. Um, But I really, I guess I write them. I I think it it means that sometimes there's a lot going on in my videos and maybe too much (laughs) frequently because I write them to be an essay and then I add the video on top of that. And it's like, oh, there's a a lot going on here. So it's like I I treat every part of the process as its own thing. So I want to make the essay to a certain standard as if it was just being read and then the voiceover to a certain standard as if it was just being heard and then the video <laughs> to a standard as if it was just being watched and then I put them all together and I think sometimes it's it's too much but I can't stop myself but generally I don't necessarily know what's going to be on screen when I'm writing it there are sometimes um I've I think I've I'm writing this a certain way because I know there's this clip that I want to have them like interplay in a certain way. But mostly it's if I find something that works while I'm editing, that's just luck. (laughs) I've had people comment being like, Well, you must you know, you must like do a lot of rough drafts and edits on these videos because you've matched clips so well to what you're saying. It's like, it's just luck
0: (laughs) (laughs) What impact does the act of creating have on the video essayist? On episode five of the show, Jacob Swinney, another former Fandor essayist who runs the popular Twitter account, first and final frames, discussed the impact that creating video essays has on just watching a movie in his daily life.
4: I I just think I just have a better overall understanding of just storytelling and cinema as a whole by doing this kind of stuff. And to a point, it's it's ruined a little bit of the the magic of movies because when i it's hard to turn off the uh you know the analysis button once you get so deep into the stuff so like i it's it's still hard for me to sit down and like watch a movie and just be like wrapped up in the story and like the actual Movie like I'm like oh, okay well what does this particular shot mean what does this decision mean oh that opening shot I can't wait for the ending shot like <laughs> that kind of stuff but I just think it gives me just a, like I said like a, just a better understanding of just really every aspect of it and a, a better appreciation um, like I said like I, you know I'm probably overanalyzing a lot of stuff like I said some of the first and final frame stuff is a stretch and I'm sure a lot of my other stuff is you know totally not intentional but I don't think stuff has to be intentional to be worthy of analysis I mean even if it's on a subconscious level, I mean, that's something that was chosen to be shown to us in this way.
0: In October of 2019, the critic Adrian Martin appeared on the program to discuss the video essay work he co-creates with Christina Alvarez-Lopez. In this clip, he discusses how their creative process often begins. Note the way it contrasts with the approach Grace Lee described.
5: We do not start with an ironclad script. Uh, personally, it's, it's not our way to pre-script. I know some people do and some people think it's a good thing to do. It's not a good thing for us. Partly because it's very important, it's very important for Christina especially because Christina is like the master technician, like she's the one at the computer doing, you know, pressing 600 buttons a second and uh, you know and she's playing with let's put this in front of this, let's put this behind this. Let's put this sound with this image. Let's try that all the other way around. So she's always looking for these like what I call those electric connections between Fragments, and also between image and sound, and uh, and so she wants to discover those things while editing in montage. You know, she doesn't want to be handed a script by me or anybody else saying, uh, you know, shot one of this scene, cut to shot three of another scene, and with then another column with a voice saying, shot one can be understood in relation to shot three. Right, that's that bores the hell out of her. Hmm boss the hell out of me too. And so what we do is that either she or I sort of might start by just writing phrases or just sentences or a few paragraphs, but it's not like a written essay in a sense that it's like, this essay is about X and Y, and I will prove that because X, therefore Y, which leads us to Z, right? So it's not it's not in a logical form of an argument. Uh, it's more like just phrases. There'll be We'll have something about the colour in the film. We'll have something about the gesture in the film. We might have a quotation from somebody. So, so we, we have these fragments of, uh, of speech when we use a voiceover, which we don't always do, but if we have a voiceover track and, uh, and so this is where, as I was saying before, I'll then go into the other room and I'll start recording these bits of speech
0: Videographic criticism, in many ways, has become a kind of umbrella term for all different kinds of work. Video essays, essay films, found footage films, archival documentaries, video art, and all sorts of other different kinds of remix. Sometimes, works by artists or scholars who work in other traditions have their work brought into the video essay fold. In this clip, Jennifer Proctor, a scholar and filmmaker, addresses this coming together of various forms.
6: Yeah, I mean, that, that is the question. Um, and I, I think that I've always thought of myself as a filmmaker first, and my work very much draws on the traditions of avant-garde filmmaking, even when I'm working with found footage to advance some kind of critical argument about cinematic language. Um, but I, what I've appreciated is being kind of drawn into the folds of this burgeoning form of video essay as scholarship, even though my video essays kind of function more as traditional films, if I can call the avant-garde a traditional form, um, but but they're not a, sort of explicitly scholarship in the way that some other video essays are that have emerged with journals like In Transition. So um, So I don't know that I would call myself a video essayist either, but my work is definitely engaging with some of the same issues, Um, it's just doing it in a little bit more of an implicit way and in a way in which the film can function in a film festival, you know, just as easily as they might function um, in a scholarly conference or something like that. So I've been very appreciative of those who have been sort of um, carving this path for Video Essay as a Scholarship that they've included work like mine in that, um, you know, into the fold. Even though it it might not look exactly like scholarship to other folks, so I don't have a good answer for it except to say that I, these boundaries are I think are still being defined, and i'm I'm appreciative that my work is inside those boundaries um, for the video essay at least at this stage.
0: One of the most revelatory and celebrated forms of the video essay is the desktop documentary format in this clip, Chloe Galbert Lanay, a scholar, filmmaker, and one of the leading practitioners of the form discusses some of the unique advantages of the desktop documentary and its relationship to the internet
7: but in terms of what the desktop documentary is allowing that maybe other forms of essays or video essays might not. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be using the desktop documentary if my research was not ultimately about the internet. I think, you know, it could easily become a gimmick and I I'm, I'm not like I haven't seen so many desktop, you know, documentaries that didn't need to be one because I think people who are drawn to that form is because they are investigating online media in different ways. And so I think when this is the the objective, then it makes a lot of sense to be playing with the desktop interface as a frame or as a, a canvas. As far as I'm concerned, and I know some other practitioners have different views on that, but for me, I'm not absolutely I'm not fascinated by like the aesthetics of the desktop. I'm not so interested in recreating it with, you know, fancy animations or working with it as if it were painting or like, you know, composing images, etc. I think for me at this point at least it's it's still very much about the documentary aspect. I'm interested in producing documents and thinking about the stakes of documenting, you know, your desktop or your internet browser on that day, knowing that for algorithmic reason, if you do it tomorrow, it's going to be very different. And I think there is a lot to think about. And we're still very much in the process of understanding how to make audiovisual documents of this online landscape that needs to be archived and is so unstable. So I I think of the desktop documentary as part of this process of trying to keep imprints of the very quickly changing online world.
0: What inspires video essayists to create? Here in this clip from episode nine, the Swiss scholar Johannes Binotto gives one such answer.
8: Strangely enough, I never had the fantasy, although being a total movie buff, I never had the fantasy of doing films myself. I always thought I know too mo- many things about movies and I-, I know so many great movies, there's no need for me to do some. But in my, in my lectures and also in my texts, it often is like that I'm working so closely with these movies and also in my lectures that I'm very specific with the clips that I use and how I comment them and I repeat them. And I saw... Something similar in the found footage practice of something like of, of someone like Matthias. Then I realized, oh, that's actually something that I could do um, myself. Also because the whole technology of how to edit uh, movie clips, how to 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 rip DVDs and stuff, uh, when that got uh, available. Because you have mm-hmm. to remember, I mean, I'm 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 born 1977, so I'm very much a child of the of the VHS tape, mm-hmm. and and there is also. So as, a, as a child and as a young boy, I also used to photograph the TV screen because I wanted oh, to wow. have, it also has very much to do with like the, 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 the fantasy of owning and getting into possession of these films that I love. A highlight of the show for me
0: is learning about very early works by established video essayists, works that, while not made as video essays, clearly reveals something about the work that is to come and the impulse towards videographic criticism. Here, in episode 10, the critic and filmmaker Charlie Shackleton gives one such example.
9: I remember when I was a teenager, I, for some reason, like, I can't even really remember the thought process behind this, but I made a video that was, um, in which I took every frame of the film, which film was it? It was Vertigo took every frame of vertigo and then i used this app i had that sorted images by predominant color and so it took every frame of the film and then it ordered them in term uh, in order of hue essentially so that i then had you know however many tens if not hundreds of thousands of frames ordered by hue in a folder and then i dropped them back into a timeline and just made like a Film the same length as Vertigo, but that was like completely unwatchable, uh, just like hyper kinetic cuts between all these different frames, but that did sort of over the course of an hour and a half go from, you know, red to orange to yellow and so on. Uh, And like, I couldn't even retrospectively give you any kind of justification for what that was meant to reveal or anything like that, but it was certainly the first time that I had really experimented with you know, chewing up and spitting out existing material in that way. That, but that never went online or went anywhere.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode and be on the lookout for part two of this reflection and celebration of three years of the video essay podcast.